This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. What's so great about Caesar? Brutus is just as cute as Caesar. Okay, Brutus is just as smart as Caesar. People totally like Brutus just as much as they like Caesar. And when did it become okay for one person to be the boss of everybody, huh? Because that's not what Rome is about. We should totally just stab Caesar! That's a clip from the 2004 movie Mean Girls. In that movie, high school queen B. Regina George rules her clique with an iron fist until sabotage drives them to a Shakespeare-based form of madness. Mean Girls is a comedy, but cruelty among adolescent girls is a phenomenon that most girls and women are well aware of. In fact, the movie was based on a nonfiction book, Rosalind Wiseman's Queen Bees and Wannabes, helping your daughter survive cliques, gossip, boyfriends, and other realities of adolescence. For middle school principal Joanne Dornfeld Januzzi, and for many others, figuring out why young girls push each other around and how to spot it when it's happening is a major issue. Educators consider it a form of bullying. They call it relational aggression. And as such, it's become a topic of great concern in this age of worries about school violence. So when Januzzi was deciding what to look at for her Ph.D. dissertation in education at Fordham, she considered what she knew about bullying, that 75% of adolescents have reported being bullied, and a disturbing 71% of school shooters have been the target of bullies. Januzzi looked at teachers, administrators, and others who deal with students at two middle schools in Westchester to see how they looked at bullying, especially among girls, and why so much of the torment that girls put each other through often isn't seen as a priority. Dornfeld Januzzi joined me in the studio this week to talk about what she found and what her school, Henry H. Wells Middle School in Brewster, is doing to make life better for adolescent girls. Joanne Dornfeld Januzzi, welcome. Thank you so much for having me this morning, Nora. Now, we hear a lot more than we used to about bullying. Tell me why that is. I think that, you know, there are just uh, so many more incidents of school violence that we're beginning to see. And what they're finding out when they really research these students that have committed these violent acts is that they were victims of bullying by their peers. And um, I think it's become much more a focus of attention for school administrators, teachers, parents. Now you're talking about things like the Columbine shooting and the Virginia Tech shooting. Yes, I am. So those are people who are... They were bullied when they were younger. And right. And not not necessarily physically bullied, but taunted, name-calling, just really victimized by their peers. And it's done in very subtle ways. So a lot of times it's so under the radar that adults around them and even their parents and friends aren't even aware that that's happening to them. I was surprised when I was looking at your dissertation to see that there was a Secret Service report that addressed the topic of bullying. Yes. As I said to you before, it's come on the radar and, you know, they're beginning to see if they can profile people that are potentially capable of doing some sort of violence in schools. And it's really hard because the more I read about it, the more I realize that there really isn't a typical profile so bullying might seem like a pretty familiar concept to most of us, but tell me what you are talking about when you talk about bullying. What I'm talking about are two different kinds of bullying. Boys, you know, they're very overt about the way they bully other boys. They, It's right out there. You know, they're going to have a fight. It's going to be very physical. It's going to be over and done with. And then there's another type of bullying that girls more typically engage in, and it's that very covert kind of under-the-radar 
type of thing like name calling, spreading rumors, you know, their social affiliations with other girls. Uh, they'll they'll dictate who you're going to be friends with, who you're not going to be friends with. It's very cruel, and it really goes very much unobserved uh, by people around these girls that are the victims, and they don't usually tell people about it. And so they keep that type of bullying very much to themselves because whether they fear the repercussions or they fear that, um, you know, they're going to lose all their friends. You know, I don't know what the reason is, but they're really afraid to come forward with it. So they endure it. So they're, they're very distinct types of bullying. And what's interesting to me is that you're beginning to see more and more boys are picking up on how girls bully. And because the girls do it and get away with it, it's so undetected that a lot of boys are engaging in, in that type of behavior now also. It's, it's very cruel, and um, the victims just remain silent. I, I call the girls who it happens to my invisible girls because they're really afraid to come forward and, and discuss it with anybody. How great a problem is bullying in schools? I think it's a very big problem. As a middle school principal, I see it all the time. You know, sometimes we feel so powerless because students won't come and tell you. And it's only if we directly observe it a lot of times that we can intervene and help children out. But because we, you know, we always think everything's okay, we, maybe we minimize some of the behaviors that we see. And, and not because, you know, we're awful people and, you know, we don't want to help kids. I just think that, you know, we've, we're unable to determine the level of harm that it's causing because kids, you know, they'll just go about their business and, you know, do their own thing. I had a couple of girls this year who were really being victimized by their peers. And the only way that I found out is the parents finally came in and said, you know, my child is crying every day, doesn't want to come to school. And, and all of a sudden you start peeling back layers of what this child was going through with her friends and it brings it to light and that's when we can you know go in and, and and do something about it but you know it just it's it's really a major problem I think in schools it's bad to be bullied when you're in school but in terms of sort of long-term results and statistics and things like that in American schools, American middle schools, which is what you concentrate mm -hmm. on, what are the sort of ripple effects of this? What are the results? Girls really suffer long term from this. I don't think you know, and, and, you know, I can speak from personal perspectives of myself and, and my own daughter who, you know, really kind of endured that type of behavior from other girls as, as we were growing up. And it's something you never forget as a woman. I always feel that I'm, you know, reluctant in forming relationships with other women. I mean, I'm old now, so, you know, I feel like the pe friends I have are the people that I can trust, but it, it, it really hurts your ability to trust other people as you grow up and even go into college and, and later in life and in making friends with other women, you know, and, and my focus is women. Men are completely different. You know, men, it's, you know, over and done. They don't engage in the type of um, 
intimate behaviors with other, you know, women are pretty like, we like to share things. We like to tell each other things. We like to share our intimate thoughts. And when another woman breaks that trust and uses it as a weapon against you to spread a rumor, to create, create a bad situation for you to hurt you. These are things that I believe last a lifetime with girls. I don't think it, it ever goes away. Let me ask you, what is the worst age for bullying? Middle school. Middle school, that, that 10 to 14-year-old age group. Although from what I'm hearing from my colleagues in at the elementary level, they're starting to see more of it amongst the younger children. Why is the early adolescence, why is that really the big time? It's it's a very difficult time in their lives. Their affiliations start to really change. They're starting to separate from their parents as they enter middle school, it's not as much about the family now as it is about their social affiliations with, with other kids. They're struggling for independence, yet still feel some dependence with their parents, but they're moving away from that dependence state. And just so many physical changes are happening for kids at that age and emotional changes for them. I, it's such a difficult period of time for kids. You are a middle school principal, as we've talked about. What kinds of bullying do you see? Um, I see the boys uh, bullying each other on the playground or, um, you know, a little shoving in the hallway. You know, those are all very clear signs that boys are very physical and and going after each other in a a very um, open kind of way. With the girls, I see the, if I'm in the cafeteria, for example, I'll see maybe a girl sitting by herself, somebody who's usually sitting with a group of friends, and all of a sudden, she's not sitting with anybody and possibly looking very sad. And when you engage her in a discussion, you'll find out that for some reason, they've all decided to not let her sit with them today. And that's a very harmful form of bullying. And I'll always pull the child aside and say, you know, tomorrow it'll be different, or maybe we'll get you to sit with another group of girls or, you know, try to help them work it out. But nine times out of 10, the next day, they're back with that group and maybe somebody else is on the outs. Scary. (laughs) scary kind of behavior. You are listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. You can't wear a tank top two days in a row, and you can only wear your hair in a ponytail once a week. So I guess you pick today. Oh, and we only wear jeans or track pants on Fridays. Now, if you break any of these rules, you can't sit with us at lunch. Well, I mean, not just you, like, any of us. Oh, and we always vote before we ask someone to eat lunch with us because you have to be considerate of the rest of the group. Well, I mean, you wouldn't buy a skirt without asking your friends first if it looks good on you. I wouldn't. Today on the show, we're talking about bullying among middle school girls. My guest is Joanne dornfeld Januzzi. dornfeld Januzzi is the principal of Henry H. Wells Middle School in Brewster, New York, and she received her Ph.D. in education from Fordham after researching the torment that young adolescent girls put one another through. Let's get back to that conversation. Now, you have chosen to focus on middle school girls. Obviously, this is something that you feel really passionately about. Mm -hmm. But why did you feel like it was something that needed more research? 
the more I tried to find information about it, there really wasn't a lot. I mean, there had been some great books written. Uh, Rachel Simmons had written Odd Girl Out, and she had stories from hundreds of girls about their experiences with other girls and being victimized by them. But nothing in terms of my big focus was, as a school person, why aren't we seeing this? And why is it so under the radar for us? And, you know, are people intervening? And the more I studied, you know, there was some stuff out there about, um, you know, schools that are trying different things to um, intervene for girls in particular, but not a lot of research. And and just in my own local area, and I just, I really studied just two suburban schools, I wanted to see where the adults in that building, where each of those buildings were at in terms of recognizing the kinds of things that go on amongst students. So what did you find about the ways that adults look at bullying among teenagers? They recognize the boy issues very clearly. They don't seem, they minimize the girl issues. They say, oh, it's just girls being girls, you know, just, it's really nothing serious. And they're not understanding the level of hurt that these girls are experiencing. So with the boys, they're on top of it. You know, we really respond very quickly to what's going on with boys. But with the girls, we don't respond that quickly. And as I said before, because many times we do not see what's occurring unless maybe another girl comes and tells us or a parent comes in and tells us. But, you know, that's, you know, mainly what we see. How is girl bullying different from boy bullying? What what are the sort of fundamental differences? Um, the fundamental difference is the overt versus the covert. The boys are right out there. The girls are very much under the radar. They will spread a rumor. They'll have a party and they'll invite everybody but maybe one or two girls. They'll exclude other girls from, if their teachers are putting together groups for doing a project, they'll exclude certain girls. They won't allow them to be part of, of the work. At lunchtime, they'll exclude them in the cafeteria. At recess, they'll have their little groups, and maybe they're off to the side snickering and pointing or rolling their eyes at another girl. You know, those are the types of things that I see. I saw in your dissertation this idea that uh, open conflict is taboo among girls because mm-hmm. of the idea that girls are supposed to be nice. So there's this other way that they have of pursuing conflict or hostility or asserting dominance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Why is it like that? Because I think in society, we, like you just said, we girls are taught to be nice. You know, girls are not taught to use any kind of physical violence against other girls. It's a whole way that we were raised, you know, and girls are reluctant to demonstrate the kinds of behaviors that boys, because it's not socially acceptable. So we have to find a socially acceptable means with which to dominate or bully or minimize other girls. You were sort of getting at this, but it seems like you are arguing that the root of this is that there are some really big differences in the ways that adolescent boys and adolescent girls relate to one another. Can you talk about that? Um, Well, adolescent boys 
you know, they, um, it's not that they don't like their friendships and, you know, and I, and, and they like having one other boy that they're really good friends with, but they, they have more of a team mentality, I guess, maybe coming from sports or other, you know, group things that they do. So boys, it's just, it's all about, you know, them being in groups of other boys and kind of affiliating, uh, with other boys in a very physical kind of way. And girls, it can be very, it can be dyadic. That can be just like really twosomes. You're my best friend, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, it's not just me and you anymore. Now we're branching out. And so a lot of times, you know, you may have been best friends with somebody, but now they've kind of moved on and you're kind of left behind. So girls, it do, it is a group thing for girls, but for some reason with girls, there's always that need to, they, they call them the queen bees. That's what Rachel Simmons called them, the queen bees. And they kind of dictate to the other girls, like, who are you going to be friends with? And who are we going to pick on? Or who are we going to minimize, make feel bad about themselves on any given day? And uh, so it's adolescent boys and girls differ tremendously in their treatment of each other. Why is that? I mean, I actually can trace back some of the ways that I relate to other girls to this sort of thing. Like, I will still say, well, is it okay to be friends with her? Um, You know, when I'm in my mid-30s. Why do we do this? I think because we think it's a very socially acceptable way to minimalize other women. We don't do it in a very open way. You know, we girls are very cruel in a lot of ways with other girls. And and I, I'm not sure why we're like that. We're competitive. Boys are competitive, but they're competitive in different ways that girls are, are competitive. I think boys are competitive. And I, I think I said it in my dissertation, boys are competitive with each other. Girls are competitive against each other. And and I'm not sure what the, the subtlety of the difference is, but we're not happy sometimes for the good thing that happen to other women, maybe we tend to be a little jealous of it. And if they, if we see good things happening for other girls or other women, you know, sometimes it makes us step back and think, well, hmm, you know, uh, why is she getting all that attention? What can I do to take that attention off her and kind of bring that attention onto me? Uh, and I can do that by doing something nasty to her under the radar, spreading a little rumor about her, um, excluding her from something that I'm going to do as a social thing. So I don't know why we behave that way with each other. And I I see it into adulthood. I was actually going to ask you about that. I know what I think is the answer to this question, but are the long-term effects of bullying um, different for girls than they are for boys? I I believe so. I, you know, just I'll tell you from my own personal experience that I, after middle school, I just really had a hard time trusting other girls. And through high school, my best friends were always boys. I had a few friends and girlfriends in high school. Um, and I was, I was a good kid. I got good grades. And uh, I had friends. But I always kept girls at somewhat of a distance. And I think, you know, it's just kind of followed me. I'm, I'm not very trusting in a lot of ways of other women. Uh, I'd be great for psychoanalysis on this one, but um, 
I think it just lasts forever when you've been hurt so deeply by girls that, you know, you think we should be sticking together. Girls stick together. And, and we don't. We are competitive. We're jealous about the good things that happen to each other. And, and as an adult and, and after, after college and as an adult and after getting married and, you know, meeting, starting to meet other women once I had my children and I was always very, cautious about developing friendships. And the women that I developed friendships with were the women who were happy for the good things that were happening in my life. And and I would be happy for the good things that were happening in their lives. And we were, were not competitive with each other. And those are the people that I'm friends with now and, and that are friends with me. Um, and yet you do see sometimes amongst groups of, of people that you know, I'll, I'll observe sometimes even my own friends and think, why are they behaving that way? Or, you know, why are they saying, you know, what they're saying? So, lifelong. This is Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flair. Just after the show this morning, it's Cityscape with George Bodarkey. On today's show, the history of New York theater in photos. That's ahead at 7.30. But first, let's hear the rest of my conversation with Joanne Dornfeld Januzzi. So typically, um, what are the problems in terms of how adults address bullying? I think we minimize it. You know, when we see, like, for example, when you see girls rolling their eyes at other girls or or excluding them or snickering off to the side, we'll, you know, we might go over and break up the group of girls, but we don't take care of the victim. You know, just you know, dispersing a group of girls who may be doing something like that isn't repairing the damage that's been done to that girl. And so I don't think we respond adequately. One thing that you said was that, you know, there's these various things where we may not recognize that bullying's happening or they may not feel, teachers may not feel confident um, dealing with bullies. That was interesting. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's sometimes it's easier to look the other way. And I think that teachers have so much on their plate just in terms of their instructional time with students that they'll dismiss some of the things that they see. And, and, you know, and teachers are great, you know, and I have the greatest respect for them. And my study in particular found administrators, and that's me, you know, we're, we're the ones who scored lowest on, you know, any of the scales for trying to to recognize the level of bullying that goes on in our buildings. And I don't know why that is, you know, maybe we're not around it as much as teachers and paras in the building are. But that was very disturbing to me. And I, I don't think it's that teachers minimize what they see. I just think a lot of times they don't recognize it and they just they just dismiss it as this will pass. You know, let's get on with the work. Yeah. One of the other things that you mentioned was that a lot of teachers or administrators or whoever just kind of view it as a rite of passage. Right. It's that old boys will be boys kind of mentality and girls will be girls. And, you know, this is how they're going to learn. And, um, and that's fine. You know, we learn a lot of things from our relationships with other people, but you know, the degree to which bullying damages people, I just don't think it's something that, you know, we ever, get past or children, you know, 
deal with some really heavy-duty stuff at times. One of the big reasons that it's not dealt with as much as it could be is that kids don't report it. Right. Um, why don't they report it to adults? Well, I think they're afraid of repercussions from other kids. You know, tattled, you told on me. A lot of times they think that, you know, our response is inadequate. You know, I've heard a lot of kids say, you know, what are you going to do? It's not going to help. They don't have any faith in the fact that your intervention is really going to change things for them. So I think a lot of times they don't report it. But when you start to see some subtle changes in students' behavior, I think, you know, we have to be so much more aware of the signs today. But, you know, it's like I said earlier, we can't profile those kids that are really the victims. You don't know a lot of times who they really are. They hide it very well. Well, I mean, short of establishing some kind of witness protection program for (laughs) children, what can you do that is not going to make it worse? Well, I I think instituting programs like Safe Schools Ambassadors, I think those are the kinds of things, you know, peers helping other peers that are going to have the biggest impact on improving this. So what goes on in this program? The students are trained. They go, they volunteer to become Safe Schools Ambassadors. They go through several days of training and then They're out there in the general public, and then they meet. They have an advisor. I have teachers who advise groups of maybe 10 safe school ambassadors, and they meet with their ambassadors on a regular basis. And students come, and they report on the interventions that they've done, and then they discuss it and maybe talk about could they have done something differently, how do we improve on that, how do we recognize other things. So there's a constant dialogue that goes on for these students with other student ambassadors and with their teacher advisor. So it's a really great comprehensive program for kids, and and they learn so much from it. But what kind of interventions do these kids do? Uh, They'll go over if they see somebody, for example, um, being shoved by another student. Maybe they'll walk over and, you know, intervene, say, hey, you know, what's going on here, you know, and break it up. Or if they see a girl, if girls see another girl kind of sitting by herself in the cafeteria or standing alone at recess, they'll go over, they'll talk to them, they'll try to bring them into their group. They are beginning to learn to recognize the eye rolling. Um, if they're in a science lab and they say, oh, you know, you have to be with these girls and this is the group of girls rolling their eyes, maybe they'll go up to the teacher and say, oh, let her be in our group, you know. So we don't give them any specific strategies. You know, maybe we'll give them some basic strategies to use, but a lot of it comes from, you know, their own sense of what the right thing to do for another child is. I don't mean to be um, pessimistic about this, but Mm -hmm. what would induce a middle schooler who was also part of the same social situation, I guess, to risk their position by helping another person whose position was not as good? Well, first of all, they're anonymous. Nobody knows who the safe school's ambassadors are, so I'm sorry I didn't make that clear. They're anonymous. Uh, So if they do intervene, you know, maybe the other person doesn't know who they are and why they're doing that and just thinks it's another kid coming over to help out and um, 
and makes that person realize that they're really not doing something very nice. And, you know, we have a big motto in, in my school. It's called do the right thing. And we'll, and we'll just tell kids all the time, do the right thing. So if, if, if a safe school ambassador goes up and says to another kid, you know, you got to really do the right thing here. It's just something that everybody in the school says, but they are anonymous. So they are still part of their social groups, but they're, they don't tell who they are and what they do. It's a very interesting program. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Thanks. And Joanne uh, Dornfeld Januzzi, thanks so much for talking to me. Oh, thank you, Nora, for inviting me. I, it was a pleasure. If you even knew how mean she really is, you know that I'm not allowed to wear hoop earrings, right? Yeah. Two years ago, she told me that hoop earrings were her thing and that I wasn't allowed to wear them anymore. And then for Hanukkah, my parents got me this pair of really expensive white gold hoops. And I had to pretend like I didn't even like them. And it was so sad. From WFUV, this has been Fordham Conversations. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email us at FordhamConversations at WFUV.org. We would, of course, and as always, love to hear from you. Fordham Conversations is available as a podcast at WFUV.org. It's also available for your listening pleasure in our audio archives, which is also on our website. Next week on the show, a look at what spurred on the Russians in the space race. I'm Nora Flaherty. Cityscape is next. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful weekend. WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org.